A. LeBrook and the Sound Men. That is off the album Desolation Sounds, Fallen Tree Records. And one of our technical producers, Samuel G. Brooks, favorite tracks to get the show kickstarted on a Friday. Friday. It's kind of it's kind of just becoming the Friday song. I think so. I'm down with it. Which I think everybody's cool with. We want to be careful we don't pigeonhole ourselves, and we we're still thinking long term strategy on these types of things because you know there's there's so many neat opportunities to feature uh, independent or at least Canadian and probably Western Canadian musical acts, et cetera, et cetera. But the the whole thing about the the (laughs) Ayla Brooke album is just, I think that you and I both probably, we wouldn't be able to play it cool. If, if Ayla Brooke's album were to be another human being, we would not be coy about it. We would profess our love openly. We wouldn't play it cool. If the album were a human, would you agree? I, I, I would say so. I, you know, it's, it's interesting when we started this, this this show you you said it's just like hey i've got this this is my favorite album of this year and it's going to be the, like all the music for the show and i was like all right let's hear it yeah and and, and i was just blown was that away your first time it. hearing the album? that was my first oh, time so hearing the album go. and i just and you know what's weird is like i mean edmonton's kind of a small town like i i i'm very good friends with one of the people that engineered and mixed the record yeah and like Totally didn't even know about it. Edmonton's a, a it's it's like uh, I always think of how Reno, Nevada markets itself as the biggest little city in the world. That's yeah, kind of Edmonton, right? People said that yesterday when we when I shared with you the story of running into Emily Cave on the sidewalk uh, just hours after you know we talked about her and her situation, her circumstance uh, on the show that morning. So, welcome to Friday's show. In just about ten minutes, less than ten minutes. We're going to talk to a pastor out of Calgary, the Reverend Greg Glatz, who released uh, from his position at Knox United Church, which is a legendary Calgary church, uh, a letter, an open letter. I mean, it's a media release, but it's an open letter touching on this, the situation, the ever evolving story around Grace Life Church, the church just west of Edmonton. I feel like I I used to have to say Grace Life Church is the church west of Edmonton that has defied public health order since the start of the pandemic, refusing to operate at 15% capacity, instead packing the pews. And now, if you just say the name of the church, everybody knows, which, you know, to a certain degree, their pastor, who spent about a month in jail for refusing to comply with public health orders, their pastor would say to his congregation, it's working. Right. Just keep us in the news. Keep us in the news. And they they slyly post their videos every weekend and these types of things. The fact of the matter is, you know, you'll say, well, you're Jesperson. Technically, you're the one that's keeping it in the public dialogue. You're the one that's keeping it in the news. This is a story. It's it's brazen, open defiance on mass of a public health order creating potentially real public health issues. Right. These congregants, these these people gather on Sundays and then they go out into their own lives. They go out into the community. Right. So in a way, it's it's kind of sort of everybody's problem. A lot of you, our audience members, have told us through conversations on Twitter, on our hashtag Real Talk RJ. That's where you can find us or in emails. Uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where a bunch of you are sending your trash talks. I'm noticing trash talk submissions are coming in, by the way, like right now, by the way. And it's kind of like, we'll do our best, but we've already got a stack and we've got some good ones. That's coming up to wrap up our Friday show in, in call it, you know, two hours from now ish approximately. So it's a story because of that, because members of the public are, 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 you know, opinionated, highly opinionated on how the provincial government, how Alberta Health Services, how the RCMP, should be handling this. Obviously, the fence goes up. Then the story gains some more legs. Then there's the trucker convoy and the demonstrations and the fences are torn down and the story remains. So Reverend Glatz spoke out on it yesterday, obviously, within you know this weekend coming up. A happy Friday to you, by the way. 
there's going to be another stunt again, and it's probably going to be along the lines of what it was last week, which is what the church is calling an underground church meeting, an underground service, an underground church. And they're super excited because some prominent evangelicals in the United States are starting to recognize that Canada has an underground church. And here's the thing. The history of the underground church, the idea of the underground church is pretty deep and pretty meaningful. And so Reverend Glatz pushed back yesterday and we're going to get to him in just a moment. Why did he speak out like this? We've spoken to other pastors on the show about this and they've all been relatively diplomatic, right? I mean, I would I would I would I would recognize that they've been candid but none of the ministers that have, I think of Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee, I think of Pastor uh, Greg Hohalter, um, and I know I'm missing a couple others, my apologies. But they've all had opinions on what, what you know, sort of a Christ-like or, or a community-focused or, you know, an integrity-driven response from a church, from church leadership, from a church congregation would look like in the course of a pandemic. But they haven't really taken big swings at the pastor out there or at the church itself. You know, they've, they've kind of wanted to come together in a spirit of whatever, whatever you want to call it, agape, whatever you want to call it. They've not thrown hand grenades at the church. The letter from Knox United Reverend Dr. Greg Glatz is, is a little more <clears throat> heavy on the butane, if you will. <laughs> and so we're going to get to him in just a second. Our roundtable today, we've got curriculum experts. I'm going to let you know the roundtable today, you'll watch it or you'll listen to it on the podcast. Thanks so much to everybody that downloads our podcast. And you're going to say, OK, so he's loaded up this panel, right? <laughs> I'm bringing all these like scholars, president of the Alberta Teachers Association, you know, chair of a public school board. Like you're going to go, yeah, they're all going to come in and take huge swipes at this curriculum. And where's the balance? I want you to know um, if you're watching me on YouTube, you know, I'm staring right into the ca- I'm like right into the camera. I'm out of my seat, staring at the camera and telling you I worked really hard on this roundtable for about four days, putting this roundtable. I was endeavoring to find it and I was spelling it out to people. I'm looking for elected trustees, leaders, like I'm talking chairs of school boards, whatever the case may be, people that would qualify to be, to be in a position to speak on behalf of a school board's decision to either use, you know, implement, pilot or not this draft curriculum, this K to six. And I'm going to tell you, I've had a hell of a time finding somebody that'll come on the panel and I'm, I'm not doing it to be to, to do sort of a pile driver style interview, a big setup host plus two on one. I spelled it out to uh, and, and this is why it's weird to, to sort of pull back the curtain and go behind the scenes on roundtables like this, because now our guests that are joining us who are all esteemed are going to go. Was I on the original invite list or like, uh, am I the one that you invited when everybody else said no or when you couldn't get anybody else? Right. You got to really tiptoe around this type of thing. So when they come on, I will. Re- you'll, you'll see what I'll do. You'll hear it. I'll, I'll recognize them for being the the upper echelon top shelf professionals that they are. And I'm saying this facetiously, obviously, but I spelled it out originally for the first three days. And I said, I'm looking for a trustee or board chair that has said no. I'm looking for one that has said, yes, we'll run it. We'll dra- we'll pilot it, this draft curriculum. And I'm looking for one that says we're still because there's this big, long list. Sam, actually, let me let me share my screen and, and let me show you this list. This is really interesting. This is like a, this is a Google Doc. This is a, a, a citizen 
her name is Kathy Ostapowitz, and uh, I appreciate people passing this along. Check this out. So she's got an open Google Doc, view only, obviously, and uh, it highlights what schools, as part of the Alberta School Board Association, have decided with regards to whether or not they'll pilot this draft curriculum. So you can see Aspen View, no. Battle River, no. Calgary Board of Education, no. Uh, the Calgary Catholic Division, though, still meeting. They're talk- their trustees are still meeting or they're still looking at it. And there's a whole bunch of them that say we're studying, we're in consultation. Uh, Fort McMurray's public district says we're carefully reviewing it. So so you have that. So so we've been keeping an eye on that. So I said, we're looking for a trustee or board chair that said yes, one that said no, and one that says pending or we're still deciding. And I thought that could be just a great conversation, right? Respectful. They're all, you know, they all have something to lose when they come on here. They can't come on and be a total jerk or they're just going to be a fair, but meaningful conversation. And we've had a heck of a time finding somebody to come on and say, we're all about it. We think it's great. And, and to represent that, to be identified on the panel as this is the board that's saying yes, and here's why. Under scrutiny from their peers as part of an open dialogue, as part of real talk, if you will. So the panel today is going to be, I'm telling you across the board, I can see it from a mile away, pretty critical about this curriculum. So here's my job to not just set up a big, you know, sort of a, a hysteria you know, this this big sort of thing where we get everybody all whipped up into a frenzy and you're all pissed off. And then and then I roll into trash talk and like we're our blood pressure or, you know, our beats per minute heart rate is going to be like off the charts. And uh, someone's going to say, why are you so angry? And you're going to say the curriculum and they go, why? And you go, uh, I'm not exactly. I just know it's terrible. And they're going to go like, why? Like what's terrible? And you're going to go, ah, what have people been saying? Premier's grandfather's in on the music and someone's going to go, that's not like that. It's kind of tacky, but it's not like that big of a deal. And you're going to go, I know, but there's like a whole bunch of other stuff that. So my job today is going to be to make sure that this panel explains to us exactly what's wrong with it, why it's wrong and what they want to see done to fix it. So that'll be the goal of our roundtable. And that's going to kick off in like 20 minutes which means I better get my ass into this interview with the good reverend. So let me kick off the show officially by reminding you that this show is presented proudly by our title sponsor each and every weekday morning, the team at Bitcoin Well. If you missed Adam O'Brien, their founder and CEO here on the show just a short time ago, taking some of your questions, including on the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. I like it. He wants the tough questions. He invites them. Check it out under our YouTube channel. Of course, you can find the podcast anywhere and you can look up Bitcoin well by following the link right at the top of the sponsors page at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, so we take a look at this letter uh, released yesterday by Knox United Church pastor. Uh, he's the Reverend Dr. Greg Glatz, and uh, we're going to get to this in just a second, but, but I wanted to read from the letter first. Uh, it says it's a response to Grace Life Church meeting, quote unquote, underground. And they provide some context. They say on Sunday, April 11th, Grace Life Church once again defied public health and safety orders by meeting at an undisclosed location without respecting capacity limits or mask requirements. The next day, they posted a video to YouTube in which one performer in the service described Grace Life as an underground church. Grace Life takes its cue from the notoriously self-righteous Grace Community Church in Southern California, led by John MacArthur. It's amazing to have an underground church in Canada, MacArthur said to a surge of cheers and chuckles from his own congregation. 
This celebratory approach to the notoriety these churches have gained by defying public health and safety orders makes a mockery of the real underground church movement. Underground churchgoers have faced arrest, torture, and death for their beliefs and practices. Grace Life Church is not an underground church. It is a case of self-congratulatory white privilege enjoying its ill-gotten celebrity with little consequence other than the inconvenience of finding a new location to defy public health and safety orders. The letters signed off by that faith leader out of that community who joins us now live out of Calgary. The Reverend Dr. Greg Glatz has been a church minister focusing on community development for more than a quarter century. Uh, he's been an evangelical pastor in past at a Baptist church for more than 20 years. He's been a United Church minister since 2012, and he completed his doctorate uh, with Leonard Sweet at Portland Seminary. Reverend, welcome to the show, and thank you for making time for us today. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Uh, as I noted in my preamble, I've had a conversation with a number of different community leaders, faith leaders, and all of them have stopped short of of really taking the blowtorch to this story. You busted out your blowtorch yesterday with some heavy language. Uh, what got you to that point? I, you know, I think what inspires me the most is, is two things. One is protecting the reputation of people that have truly suffered for their faith. And I think that when we're um, when we hear in, in the Western world with with a lot of privilege, a lot of power, start equating our journey to the uh, journey of people that have truly been underground for their faith. I think we're we're making a mockery of the persecuted church, uh, persecuted church throughout history in time and space around the world. And then the second thing is um, Knox is is a community church We're we're well known by downtown Calgary, by all of Calgary. And so we're not connected just to the church-going community of faith here at Knox, but to the city as a whole. And as I talk to the city as a whole, they are disturbed and, and actually disgusted by churches that think they're somehow above health and safety protocols, that they don't have to follow them because there's a half a, half a verse in the Bible that says we should not neglect meeting together. And so I, I really wanted to give a voice to common sense and to the community at large as a as a community of faith leader, I wanted to give a voice to common sense that said, no, look, we, we're a community of faith and we can work with these public health and safety guidelines really well and and still fulfill our commitment to worship and gathering together. You know, the narrative, though, is really easy to sell. I mean, if if, if, if I'm the guy yep. that's leading this community and, and is standing to profit big time from this and I've already, you know, he's been ticking off the boxes on, on what you need to do. Like I said, to, to get your own sort of made for TV movie, you know, starring Kirk Cameron as you. I mean, who could who could deny the opportunity that exists there? And he's ticking off all the boxes or he's using all the language. He's saying we are the faithful church. He's implying that other churches that are meeting remotely or meeting online lack faith, which is a heck of a thing to to say to a spiritual or, or a religious community, right? They've got the pastor sitting in jail. They've got the police coming and putting fences around the church. I mean, they're going to sit here and they're going to say, why exactly do we not qualify as an underground church? They're trying to stop us from meeting and courageously we still gather in his name. What would you say? Well, I, I would say this. Um, I do take it seriously when churches are order closed, ordered closed. Like that's a big thing. So I, I don't want to pretend that isn't, but these Alberta health services um, guidelines were actually designed to protect the members of that church, not to stop them from believing anything they believe or doing anything they want to do. 
uh, except to protect them. And the real persecuted church doesn't get that privilege. The real persecuted church has measures taken against it that doesn't have its well-being at heart, that isn't considering what's good for its own members as well as the authorities or the power. So that's the big difference right there. If if Alberta Health Services or the provincial government, provincial government had said, look, we, we are intending harm to you. We're trying to shut you down because we don't like what you're about and, and we want to uh, curtail what you do, prohibit what you do just for the sake of doing it. That would be one thing. But I think Alberta Health Services has been really reasonable in saying, look, we are concerned about the health and safety of your own members. And at that point, you're no longer the underground church or the persecuted church. Well, and it's and as I pointed out earlier, it's not just the church members either. Right. I mean, it's like if their kids are there uh, and their kids, there's kids all over the place. Uh, they're going into the schools for the ones that aren't homeschooled. Right. I mean, it, 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 you know, people are meeting with their neighbors. People are touching door handles and going to gas stations and grocery stores. And I mean, you know, and you've got an entire community of people. I don't know. Maybe there's the odd mask. Uh, you know, I wouldn't go near the church myself with, without a, you know, I mean, sort of like fire department issued breathing apparatus. But I'll tell you, um, I would think that people in that community, including people that are from the Enoch First Nation nearby, uh, have every reason to be upset for a number of of different angles. And uh, that's one of the things that for me makes it, you know, really that the unfortunate thing, Reverend, is that I think that some of the steps that were taken by Alberta Health Services and uh, with the support of the RCMP uh, were done is probably, um, if not a last resort, getting pretty close to there. But it yep. only it only fuels the narrative that is perpetuating the problem. Like, honestly, this whole thing is a vicious circle. You know, and the more pressure that's applied, uh, the more prominent the support for the church. I mean, and it's really turning into something here. It really is. Yeah, I, I, I do agree that um, it looked like too little too late and then and then really drastic at, yeah. in, in the last days. And that probably doesn't help. But I think to give credit to Alberta Health Services and look, we've had to work with AHS as well as a church and we have a cafe. Um, they have a tough job and, and they've had to come in here and tell us we need to improve on things and, and do things differently. And we sat down with them and said, OK, look, we understand that your concern is the health and safety of us and the, and the larger public. We will work with you. And we took that uh, collaborative and cooperative stance. I mean, they have the rule of law on their side. We almost don't have a choice. But we, we said we understand where these regulations come from. We understand how they are designed for our own best interests and the interests of the community at large. And we're going to work with you. And what we found in our dealings with AHS is that um, they helped us to get uh, further ahead faster by taking that collaborative stance with them than if we had uh, just, you know, stuck our feet in the mud and say, we're not moving at all. We're, we're, we refuse to cooperate. We refuse to acknowledge these regulations. We'll stigmatize them, take a stand against them, whatever. So, I, you know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that AHS uh, and the provincial government worked really hard behind the scenes for about four months to try to uh, not make this what it became. But I, I don't think the church was flexible. Reverend, uh, when I uh, confirmed that you and I were going to speak this morning by way of a tweet yesterday, and I, I quoted you from the letter, uh, the specific passage where, where you talk in your letter about white privilege, uh, you mm -hmm. say this isn't the underground church and, and you reference or touch on white privilege. The biggest pushback, and you probably saw it because you were tagged yep. on the tweet, the pushback we were seeing from a lot of people, or at least some people, was your assertion that this is white privilege on display. Can, can you dig into that a little bit? 
Yeah, I, I think um, what I meant by that is the visible leaders of, of this movement are white. So John MacArthur down in Southern California, James Coates here uh, in uh, near Edmonton, and then Tim Stevens, pastor of Fairview Baptist, um, and and me uh, for that matter too. I'm also white, and we, we get a lot of privilege that we don't even realize uh, every day of the week, all day long. And that allows us to, to take these bold stands and to do these uh, public outcries and declarations. I've done that myself with two media releases over the past two weeks. And we get a lot of credibility and we get a listening ear and we get authorities thinking twice about closing us down or approaching us all because we're part of the majority. As soon as we're not part of the majority, and I, I think we've seen this uh, in Canada and in the United States, as soon as we're not part of the majority, as soon as we're part of the minority, it becomes... Uh, much more difficult for us to take these contrarian stances or these outspoken stances and not get some really quick uh, pushback that shuts us down. So, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, to me, it really bothers me that people down in John MacArthur's church at, at, at Grace Community um, are kind of laughing and chuckling and cheering that a church up in Alberta has been shut down because they think it's great. We got more notoriety. We're, we're more famous. We, it's all about us. The attention's on us. And you can only really enjoy that when you've got privilege. I, this, I can only speculate because this is, this is pure speculation, but I just, I, I've, I've kind of wondered, and I've had a lot of audience members reach out with the exact same comment that if this were, for example, people are, you know, friends of the show are going to say, why are you picking on us? Why are you choosing our faith group? This is at random. But if this yeah. were to be a mosque, for example, um, I suspect that some of the same people I can only speculate, but I suspect that some of the same people that have shown up on truck convoy or otherwise to tear down fences and cause a scene. I suppose some of those I speculate that some of those same people would be protesting outside the mosque demanding it be shut down. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 I just I would almost bet my house on it. Yep. That's the rhetoric. That's the that's the narrative. Um, we uh, white Christians in in Canada and North America are the persecuted uh, church. I mean, Grace Life didn't invent this persecuted narrative, this martyrdom narrative, nor did Grace in Southern California. This has been going on for a long time, uh, probably for the past 10 to 20 years. Um, actually, since the 1980s, in some ways, with, with the rise of the moral majority and Jerry Falwell. You know, we, we were the true founders. Uh, Christianity was the true founding religion of this country. And now we're being shut down and persecuted and, and pushed to the sides and the margins. And uh, we, we've, we've bought into that narrative, but it's just not true. Craig says, I would also bet my house on that. Jess Bowie says, I'd guarantee it. Uh, Heidi says, these churches that put grace in their names ought to look up the meaning of the word in the context of God. Just saying. Blake says, I bet you a white mob would have burned down the mosque. Uh, Linda Ray says a mosque or a temple. Um, you want you want to hear something wild, Pastor? You're, you're not. I know you. I should say Reverend. Uh, you're 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 not expecting this. This is wild. I got an email just a short time ago, and I had a chance to scan it. And um, I mean, unless somebody is duping us, uh, it appears to be a legitimate and valid signed letter. And I'm going to show it in just a second. Don't call it up yet, Sam, because I want to provide some context here. But this is from a. Um, an audience member, a real talker by the name of Scott, who emailed me about eight o'clock last night. And he said I was excommunicated and shunned from a Grace Life Church of Edmonton uh, for coming out against false gospels and heresies of Calvinism and lordship salvation that the church teaches and preaches. I was spiritually abused during the church discipline process that I endured at one point before I was excommunicated. 
um, two of the pastors, James Coates and Mike Hovland, paid me a visit at my condo. And as we were sitting at my kitchen table with my wife by my side, I said, I'd just like to leave the church with no hard feelings. But both Pastor Coates and Hovland said that I could not leave the church. I felt and I told them uh, that I felt like I was being held with a hostage, like a hostage with a gun to my head. I felt like this was very cult like he goes on. I'm not going to get into the specifics of what prompted this. But Sam, can you put the letter up? Look at this. It appears to be on Grace Life Church letterhead uh, dated uh, February 14th of 2019. And get this. It's addressed to Scott. It says it's with concern and sorrow that we're writing you this letter. It seems that after recently repenting of your online behavior and conduct, followed by a season of abstinence from online activity, you have returned to it again. Your online behavior is divisive, facetious, and I, what is that, schismatic? This behavior is consistent with the deeds of the flesh. Paul warns against this. You know, this is all the more alarming due to the fact that your behavior comes to bear on matters which relate to the gospel and its faithful ministers. Letter goes on to say, unless you should turn from your sin and mend your ways, your name will be read on Sunday, February 24th, and you will be under formal church discipline due to the nature of your sin. We are advancing to step four of the process in Matthew 18. We urge you to turn from your sin, forsake this divisive behavior and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Reverend Dr. Glatz, you've had now five seconds to think about it. What's your response to that? Uh, this is part of the culture of, of uh, fundamentalist uh, and some evangelical churches. It's a control culture, and it, it's great for, for building a movement in terms of getting people to follow in line and give their money and their time and their energy to something. But it, it's, uh, it's not right. It's not the gospel. It's not good news for people. And it, it's pretty much close to a cult in my mind. Well, it, to me, you know what really jumps out at me about the whole thing? I mean, people can have different opinions on faith and dogma and theology. And I'm not, I'm not tangling with anybody on that. And people can believe what they like. Uh, the idea of unless you mend your ways, what they don't like is that he's speaking out against church leadership on his social media. Scott tells us as much in his story. Your name yep. will be read on Sunday, February 24th. And that to me is creating a culture. Sorry to be Captain Obvious here, but it's creating a culture where if you do not comply or if you fall out of favor uh, for reasons that may be specific or otherwise, you will be identified to this faithful congregation as one walking out of step. And that's going to be a lot. Uh, that's going to be enough to keep a lot of people walking in line the whole time. Yeah, well, the, the good news is supposed to set us free from shame and guilt. And uh, I, I've had this pet peeve myself. Churches with the name Grace in them seem to have completely forgotten what grace really is. Is that it? Is it, is it a trend? Is it like, you know, is it like any other denomination? Like, is that is that it? Because there's probably we're going to hear from one church that's probably called like, you know, Grace Church of Lethbridge or something. And they're going to okay, go, well, Gee, whoa. So I'll put the challenge out there because my anecdotal evidence supports this. If you're a church with the name grace in it, prove to me that you really understand the biblical meaning of grace. There you go. I like it. There you go. Hey, kid, before we run out of time, I want to ask you because your church has, as have many, as have a ton. We've talked to a lot of faith leaders that have pivoted and that have done really. And, and actually, I think, you know, have, have put infrastructure in place that post pandemic, they're going to be able to reach the people. I, I, I don't know if it's I don't think it's the preferred nomenclature anymore to say shut ins. I think that's what we used to call them. But people that are unable to gather in person for whatever reason, churches are going to be able to, to and have expanded their infrastructure vis-a-vis their community. And I think in really exciting ways. But tell us about Sanctuary Coffee and what this is all about. And, and let's end here on a real positive, because I think it's a great story. 
Yeah, we, we think the future of the church involves social enterprise. So we're, we're running enterprises, businesses, if you like, that generate revenue, that it, that revenue is poured back into the social good that we're doing in the community. And I'll just say being open eight till three, Monday to Friday here in the sanctuary, it's on the other side of, of me, um, gives us uh, the community access to us and us access to community in a very organic way around some great coffee and baking. And I've probably had more conversations with people in the community over the past year than I've had in the previous 25 years. So it's it's amazing. It's That's really good. Fantastic. Uh, thanks for making yourself available to us. I, You have taken. So we've, we've kind of had this running off the record, not for it's it's been an informal list of like who has the most magnificent or spectacular backgrounds of the guests that we have on the show. Uh, we had a divorce lawyer in Vancouver who had a pretty unbelievable background. Uh, we had Andrew Fung from uh, Kim's Convenience, whose background had it was his collection of Nike sneakers and was pretty darn cool. I think he had some replica wrestling belts there yeah. on the wall, too, <clears throat> Sam. And uh but Reverend, I think you may. I mean, you're in the run. You're top three, undeniably. There in the no, beautiful. Nobody else has brought stained glass and yes. uh, and, uh, and 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 a choir loft yet. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And you're probably not even showing off. Like I'm sure that you can show us a whole lot more. So Reverend, thanks. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. I'll bring my 15 guitars next time. Oh, atta boy. There you go. Well, now he wants to, you know, Greg Hohalter, who's a pastor out yeah. in Sherwood Park. Um, he was showing off his uh, his baseball bat collection. He's got quite a memorabilia. So. Greg and I went to school together. Is that right? Yeah. Hey, can I, can in, I, in, I, I know we've already wrapped, but who cares? It's real talk. We do whatever we want. Um, yeah. Baptist and then United. Yeah. One guy yesterday threw, a, if he was the pitcher, you were at bat. He, he threw for your helmet yesterday. Uh, he called yeah. you an, an apostate preacher at an apostate oh. church. Oh. Um, people, yeah. uh, different denominations. There's, there's, there's not always like, not everybody plays nice. How, how did you? Yeah, I'm a what, pronoun proclaiming apostate. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, I was, uh, both Greg and I, uh, Greg Holfalter and I were North American Baptist Conference. We trained at the uh, seminary down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota together. And uh, we, we both wound up working in North American Baptist Conference churches. Uh, long story short, if you're a Baptist minister and you get divorced and remarried, that's a big strike against you, but I made it through that. Uh, the second one was I was, uh, I had gay people coming out of my Baptist church and I said, you can be a member, you can be in ministry and I'll marry you here. And that's when the denomination stepped up and said, you do that, we're going to defrock you. And it was time for me to move on. There were other reasons, too, but that, that was a big part of it. A man of principle. I love it. Thanks for this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's the Reverend Dr. Greg Glatz um, out of Calgary's Knox United Church. Uh, yeah, look into the, their story about sanctuary coffee is really neat. I've been wanting to ask him about that for a while. Um, so that was perfect. And I'm glad we had time for that. And by the way, can you tell, Do, do you rec- did you recognize his voice? You know that that uh, the Reverend Doctor actually was a weekend talk radio host uh, for like 10 years. He had shows in, in Winnipeg and Calgary, that syndicated shows. I, I don't personally recognize his voice. You can tell, he has though, a, right? He has a great radio voice. Yeah, oh, yeah. he has that. Oh, like, yeah. You either have it or you don't. Yeah. Although those days are kind of gone, too. The era of the podcast, it's 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 not so much about like who can make their voice sound like maple syrup, you know, with with like some melted butter on top of fluffy, airy buttermilk pancakes. It wasn't about that anymore. And now podcasts are more about people. Just just keep it real. I talked to somebody yesterday on the phone. She, I'm so off on a tangent right now. She's going to be joining us on Monday, April 26th. We're going to be talking. Uh, uh, it's, it's an amazing story. Um, all I'm going to tell you right now, because I haven't put due thought into how we're going to promote it, but this is somebody who has been, uh, she says, unfairly characterized and had her story politicized uh, in Western Canada relating to gay straight alliances. She is now moved on enough in her life and, and has able to 
you know, been been able to create enough uh, parameters so that she can speak freely without compromising the privacy of anybody else. And uh, it is a heck of a story. So I'm talking to her on the phone yesterday. We're coordinating. And she says, wow, she says, you have your radio voice in real life. I said, I think I'd more just have my real voice on the radio. I think that's more what it is. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't really have a radio voice. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, but people would I'm, say you do. Do I? I don't know. I, it's, maybe it's, you have a new. You have a new era. Maybe I have a new era. You have a pod. Voice. You have a pod no voice. But like you think about radio voices, right? Like the the person that has the uh, the the dulcet, syrupy radio voice, and then you also look at you know one of one of everybody's favorite broadcasters, Ira Glass, right? Yeah. Has like a very like a, a completely different vocal register, and it's still very powerful voice on the radio that's been there for years. Yeah. So. I love listening through the ages on how the voices evolve. Yeah. Right? yeah. Back in the 30s and 40s, hey, he's coming up and the boys are coming back from work, hey, see? Uh, some random guy apologies. Some random guy now wants pancakes. They'll tell you advertising on Real Talk works. Just ask the teams that are going to be saying hello to some of you this weekend at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge because you finally got to the point where you realize that it's time to upgrade your ride and you can't stop thinking about those 2021 Jeep Cherokee sports. You hear that they have the heated leather steering wheel and the touchscreen Bluetooth and all the luxury inclusions that you'd expect in a vehicle you're paying twice as much for. Well, they've got the price knocked down right now. And if you qualify at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, you'll find one, a sport 4x4. That's the Jeep Cherokee for $34,990. Make sure you tell them that Real Talk sent you. And good luck to everybody that's car shopping in an unusual era these days this weekend what an exciting time the team at westworld computers also knows that well sometimes you just need to be hooked up and that includes the customers that are coming in from remote locations like how about this one sam can we wrap up this story nicely with a bow we took you into the twitter interaction earlier this week a real talker reaching out to westworld and i'm happy to announce kareen has received her charger in sylvan lake as ordered on the westworld.ca website she's now able to charge her laptop and watch real talk again see we have a vested interest here so we're grateful to daryl and the team at westworld for making sure that real talkers are all hooked up also a reminder if your weekend includes grocery shopping why not make the trip to the brand new Friesen Brothers? Finally, make this weekend. Make that the weekend. You check it out. It's their 15th Alberta location, and it is knocking people's socks off, including my personal favorite part of the store, their smoker. You go in there, you try the braised beef short rib. Un real take it home skip the work or of course make it from scratch they've got the real butchers they've always been so proud of at friesen brothers which is alberta grown and alberta owned well we've got some uh certainly uh, remarkable emails from you from our audience members and when i say some i guess the reason i double clutch there is because what i mean is hundreds and hundreds when it comes to the Alberta curriculum, um, we've got at least 1,500 emails from you, literally, uh, and we're, I'm trying to keep them all in one folder. And uh, let me tell you, you're making me hustle, but we asked for it. It's a good problem to have because you're proving to us that engagement is a great indicator of what matters most to people. This is the draft curriculum that the United Conservatives have put out for piloting, for testing, and, and a lot of school boards uh, as a matter of fact, a very significant number of school boards are saying 
no. So it's prompting great discussion, and we're happy to host that discussion here this morning. And, and it's my real pleasure to welcome to the show this week's edition of our Friday Real Talk Roundtable. Uh, Dr. Yvonne Poitras Pratt is an associate professor at the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary. She's the recipient of two teaching awards and the 2018 Confederation of Alberta Faculty Association's Distinguished Academic Early Career Award. Her publications include Métis Studies, Indigenous Education, uh, Pedagogy, Service Learning, and Arts in Education. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for being here with us today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I'm really excited to be part of this panel and to talk about what's going on uh, in terms of teaching our future generations of Albertans. I want to also introduce our other two panelists. And then, and then essentially, I intend on almost turning off my mic because we've got three people here that, that are that are intimately involved in this process and have a greater understanding of this than most of us so we're here to learn we're here to understand what the problems are why these are such problematic angles that we're focusing on and then what needs to be done to change this trisha estabrooks uh was uh is the chair of edmonton's public school board was elected in 2017 and remains proud to serve families and kids in edmonton public it's great to have you i believe unless i'm missing something that this is your real talk debut we've spoken many <laughs> times but this is your first time on the show welcome Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to make my debut on your show and a very belated congrats on uh, the launch of really successful podcasts. So great to be on the show on such an important topic as well. So yeah, thanks. to say the least. I mean, people care. I mean, people care about a lot of things. Obviously, we see what's going on with coal mining right now. We know that people care about the environment. We know people care about industry. But I'll tell you, uh, when people s start to feel instability in health and education, that's when they really speak up. Jason Schilling is is uh, joining us as well this morning and uh, I think a familiar name to most people that follow stories around education in the province of Alberta he's the president of the Alberta Teachers Association <clears throat> and on Twitter they call him shill dog so welcome to the show Jason it's great to have you here uh, good morning thank you for having me on it's always it's always a good day when you're introduced to shill dog so yeah there, there you go was that, that was I think Sam was enlightening me on this from a past story that you told that was a, that was a, a moniker that was a nickname given you by a student is that right yeah, I mean, about 14 years ago, students just started calling me shill dog. It was around the time that American Idol was out for the first time and everybody was called dog. And so they called me dog and it it just stuck. That's what happens when you, you <laughs> teach in a small town that generations of students who brothers and sisters all come in and they know your nickname and it just, you know, here we are. Well, it's it's like my favorite. It's like one of my favorite things on Twitter. I'll see when when sometimes the Alberta Teachers Association and here's where it gets serious, you know, has to step up and say, hey, listen, we've got some real problems with this stuff and so we are demanding this and it's tweeted out by shill dog i'm always like attaboy shill dog throwing punches i love it uh trisha edmonton's public board is was one of them and and, and as far as i remember one of the first to say we're not going to pilot this we're just not even going to do it and it's since become a pretty huge story when one school board or one district says they're going to do it wow when two okay all of a sudden when you start getting into double digits this is a thing what prompted uh, your division the public school board to to do what it did well, to be really honest, Ryan, you know, it was the flood of emails and the phone calls and the texts that were coming in to myself, as well as trustees that I serve with. Um, you know, the concerns from parents and families on this curriculum 
as trustees, you know, we're elected to represent the views of the people that we're elected to serve. And so when we have um, responses from moms and dads and, and, you know, to be honest, these are people who've never written a political letter in their life. But when you're talking about an issue as fundamental as what your child learns in the classroom, that has really inspired so many people to speak out. I mean, I can tell you every day my inbox fills up. Um, I'm CC on letters to our premier and to our education minister. And so when the people that I have, um, that elected me and elected my colleagues speak up with such passion um, and with such force, we have to listen. And so it is my job as a trustee to bring those viewpoints forward. The other issue, quite frankly, was also the logistics of this. You know, Superintendent Daryl Robertson of Edmonton Public Schools, he said, quite frankly, like, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And I think sometimes our provincial government forgets that. And so it just came down to now's not the right time. You know, you talk to any teacher in our classroom or educational assistants, school divisions across this province, there's a lot of strain on our teachers. And so to put in place and to ask school divisions to pilot a curriculum at a time when there's so much going on, it just doesn't make any sense. And so also from the continuity of learning perspective. So one of the things um, Mr. Robertson, our superintendent said was, you know, if we're in a situation where we start to pilot this curriculum next year and, you know, we're going to continue to offer online learning for, for children, offer that choice to parents, there could be a situation where they start in an online learning environment and then they pivot to an in-person class. And if that in-person class is learning the curriculum, then there's that, where's that continuity of learning? All that to say, serious concerns with content really is one of the big reasons why Edmonton Public was one of the first school divisions to say, yeah, this isn't going to work. And I think, you know, the latest count I see is 27 school boards have said no thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's. So this is a neat uh, 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 resource here, and I want to uh, make sure that I uh, identify Kathy Ostapowich, uh, and I hope that I'm saying her name correctly. I've never met her. Uh, I had this link passed along. This is a, but we've we've been fact checking it to ensure that it's accurate for all intents and purposes. Unless something's changed since I looked at it, it is. Um, this is the Alberta School Board Association. They're taking a look at the the school districts or the boards that have said no thanks to this, or at least it it you know records their response and i mean you can see i mean it's kind of weird it's like you know some people are going to zone out when they see you know google sheets or docs i understand that but if you're looking down the center column here if you're watching us on youtube you're going to see no 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 right on the next agenda awaiting teacher examination reserving judgment no 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 right there's one maybe with a question mark there's a couple yeses uh, Doctor Poitras Pat, what, what does that say to you? I mean, this is this is a huge message. Well, I I think it really speaks to the fact that the um, you know the curriculum was done hastily and it was done without the input of actual educators involved. And so I was part of a group um, of Métis educators who spent. Uh, three intensive days reviewing each subject area and we went through learning outcomes and we went through each each of the grade levels and looked for age appropriate um, development curriculum and and you know what we found um, even though we had gone into this sort of a retreat to look at the curriculum through a Métis lens what we found overall is just generally 
poorly written curriculum. If one of my students handed in um, something like this, I would ask them to do a rewrite. Uh, it simply is not good enough for our children or our teachers. And, you know, I get to work with uh, practicing teachers and, and I get to work with pre-service teachers, so those who are wishing to become teachers. And I've been teaching a mandatory Indigenous ed class since 2013 at the uh, Workland School of Education. And we've been really working our, our tails off trying to make sure that indigenizing perspectives are being brought into the curriculum in a meaningful and authentic way. And when we took a look at this uh, draft curriculum, I have to say I was um, dismayed, if not disgusted, at the ways in which it was so sporadically, um, you know, the content for First Nations, Métis and Inuit just didn't have the depth to it. It didn't have the background um, understanding for students. And so for myself, I work with the Alberta Métis Education Council. And uh, wow, you know, the ways in which we were sort of plopped in unannounced into the curriculum and, and with no understanding of where our people came from or our rich history here in Alberta. Wow, I, I just, I can't say um, enough about um, you know, the ways in which this curriculum has failed all Albertans. And um, yeah, it's just, I really hope, I really hope that, uh, you know, Alberta education will have the, the foresight, or maybe it's hindsight, because I also looked at a December uh, draft of this curriculum, and it didn't get any better. It actually got worse in terms of the social uh, studies subject area. So yeah, I've lost a lot of faith. Doctor, can I can I uh, can I jump in for a sec? When you say it got yeah. worse, um, are you saying like were there what you would identify as important or or you know informed uh, matters uh, within the curriculum that were removed, or how did it get worse? Yeah, there were. I spent uh, eleven days and uh, right before Christmas, and it was due December twenty second. So yeah, their timing really is beyond poor, um, but I spent 11 days looking at the December uh, draft curriculum and provided 25 pages of feedback and it was, there were several very, very concerning areas that were racist. And I'm just gonna use a term that appropriately describes what I saw. And so, uh, you know, I felt it was really my uh, place to provide that, that feedback that said, you know, this is not good enough, we need to start over. And so when the public release of the curriculum came out and uh, we sat down this time as a collective um, in December, I was not allowed to collaborate with anyone. Um, so when I got together with my, uh, the Métis educators from Rupert Sinai Institute and we looked at it, we actually found that the content around the Métis um, and in general, uh, the curriculum was really, I think it's being described as content rich, but I would um, say as an educator myself, it's content heavy and you're just flooding kids with uh, meaningless facts and, and dates and times. It, you know, it really is about integrating the skills and the knowledge together. And, and you know, I think that's where people are getting caught up in this. Um, you know, skills versus knowledge debate and really good pedagogy requires you to do both things. Mm -hmm. And um, there were several points I, I know within this new curriculum um, where we were conflated, the Métis people were conflated with other uh, Indigenous groups. 
And, you know, that, that does no favors for us as, as Métis people with a rich, rich history here in Alberta. So, yeah, it's getting worse um, instead of better. And so I'm really happy to see the parents and the teachers gathering around and really getting, um, you know, in an uproar over this because this is something that really needs to go back to the drawing board. Jason, uh, today, if if I uh, understand this correctly, the ATA, you, you took out pretty much full page ads in like every daily newspaper in the province, didn't you, to, to send a pretty clear message? Today's the day that those went out? Yeah, that's correct. And it was important that we were able to share the message that teachers have come to us saying that we are not confident in this content and the design around this K-6 curriculum draft. And we wanted to make sure that Albertans knew the, the stance of teachers in this province when it comes to this curriculum and just how problematic it is. I mean, teachers care about kids. They care about what they learn in school. It's what you go to university to, to study and you become a curricular expert on how to deliver a curriculum in a class. Um, and teachers know what works in a classroom and what won't work in a classroom. And they resoundingly have said, this will not work for our students. And uh, they you've had two excellent guests here that have sort of highlighted several things that are wrong with the curriculum and, you know, age appropriateness, grade appropriateness, uh, issues with content that are within there. Um, you're seeing things that are being brought down from junior high curriculum being introduced into an elementary level. And will, will students be able to, to understand that and engage with it? And lacking within the curriculum as well is always this question of why am I learning this? There's a lot of content, um, as Yvonne pointed out, and we're not making uh, students here who are going to be really good at trivial pursuit. We want students who are going to be, uh, you know, critical thinkers, forward thinkers, innovative, creative, um, all the things that we want to see for the future of our province. We want to see that in our curriculum. And it's just not there. And that's why we, we've taken this ad. We've uh, taken a stance. Um, we want to go back and look at this curriculum. And we're willing to do that work. But we need to engage certificated teachers, um, faculties of education, school boards, parents, and go back and look at this and let's find something that is going to work for our students in this province. But Jason, and I know that you're going to say that, and I know that you're saying it sincerely, and I know that teachers are sincerely going to make themselves available to participate in this. They care about this. They demand to be included in this. But then also it's like... I hate to say it, but we kind of know that the government's going to tell you to beat it and the government marches to the beat of its own drum and it does its own thing. And it sort of I mean, that's kind of the thing. And I don't think that the premier or the education minister would even deny that. So what then? Well, that's that's a great question. And quite honestly, that's unfortunate. When you're listening to um, school boards, you're listening to faculties of education, parents. Um, groups, uh, indigenous groups, uh, francophone groups, your um, LGBTQ plus groups are all saying this curriculum is problematic and we do not want to see this in our classrooms for our students. And the government not listen to that is, is unfortunate and it's, um, it's highly problematic and we all need to be concerned about that because you're also hearing from these same groups, we're willing to sit down with you and do the work that's necessary to make this really, really good. Alberta is one of the highest performing education systems in the world. And we're going to take a step back with this. And that's why you're seeing such a pushback on that. People do not want to see this for the future of our province. And we need to move forward. And if government doesn't want to listen, then um, that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. But we are willing to do that work with them. 
Uh, Chair Estabrook, I want to. This is a great comment from Joanne on our live chat. She's watching on YouTube right now. She says, "I'm sure that many parents are far more aware of what their children are being taught due to the pandemic. They're much more informed, and this is going to speak volumes, or it does speak volumes, as they can speak to the content. For those that maybe aren't, uh, or or even in like my position personally, like my little guy is in kindergarten right now. So when someone says, "Well, they're going to be teaching about this in grade two, uh, give us an idea of how how." dramatic of a departure uh is you know people are honing in on grade two social studies curriculum and this is a k to six thing but but that's one of the areas that people have really taken a close look at how how drastic of a departure is this from from the now well you know i'm i'm no curriculum expert as you know ryan i'm a former journalist and and now a school board trustee but you know, you're really, you're right. You know, you've hit on something there. If there's any sort of silver lining, like a glimmer of a silver lining, it would be that parents are engaged in a way that I don't know if we've seen that in many, many years in this province in this curriculum. Um, And so that in some ways is positive, I would say. You know, when I listen to curriculum experts, um, conversations that I've had, guests that I know that you've had on your show, Ryan, the main thing I'm hearing is, and I think, um, Yvonne, you've pointed it out really well. I mean, the concerns that have been raised by the Métis Nation and chiefs with the Treaty 6 Confederacy, um, you know, we need to listen to those loudly. you know, those organizations have spoken really clearly like Yvonne has this morning. Um, I think that's a huge concern. For Edmonton Public, you know, we've been working really hard in the last two and a half years on our anti-racism and equity policy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, (laughs) when I look at the draft policy that we've recently given first reading to, and I look at the curriculum, you know, it, it, um, it doesn't line up. You know, I don't feel that all students within Edmonton Public Schools can see themselves reflected in this curriculum. And that's a problem. Um, Some of the other concerns that have been raised um, specific to, I know the social studies curriculum really is the one that that people are the most upset about. Um, I think about the, the exclusion of Canadian content in that curriculum. You know, the, the, my understanding, and again, I'm not a curriculum expert, but my understanding of the current social studies curriculum in grade two, for example, um, my son's in grade three, so I'm a little bit familiar with the grade two, grade three curriculum is they learn about their community. They learn about their neighborhood. They learn about their province. And, you know, a lot of that has been replaced by um, American content. And, you know, I don't think that's the direction. So many Albertans, we don't want to go in that direction. You mentioned, too, about... um, you know, feedback. The minister wants to have feedback on this. And one of the things that Edmonton Public has been pushing for, let's make that feedback public. If Albertans are taking the time to write to the minister and do the survey, as I know thousands have, which again is great, show us, minister, show us what Albertans are saying to you. Um, And, you know, I'd also say that this government has changed their mind. They have changed direction. We saw that with the coal policy, for Mm -hmm. example. And so, you know, I've met with lots of parent groups and school councils, and the first thing they want to talk about is curriculum. Then they want to talk about COVID. And they want to, they say to me, what can I do? Is, does my voice matter? And I say, of course it matters. You know, like this government wants to hear feedback. Let's give them the feedback. You know, the minister can't say that, oh, you know, 
she didn't she didn't get enough feedback because I think this is one issue where the feedback is going to be resounding. And again, I think it's really important that there's transparency and that that feedback is shared publicly. Yeah, you are absolutely right that, uh, you know, the public has rallied and and convinced the government to change its mind. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to do is denigrate people's passion or citizen action i just chuckle when you say the government has changed its mind like on coal and it's like it's like when you're waterboarding somebody and you say oh look he's changed his mind he's going to cooperate now the 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 citizens of alberta about four and a half million of them were set to kick down the doors actually i should change my language now you know what i do need to change my language after the insurrection at the capitol and all that wild stuff uh let's be more metaphorical than that but the metaphorical pitchforks and torches were you can't even say torches damn it what am i supposed to say now the point is people were ticked uh so as canadians (laughs) as canadians if you're putting out lawn signs and writing letters like you are like upset and so yeah i guess the government changed its mind uh you know with the other option being that people would you know force recall legislation and remove them as soon as possible from the government um dr poitras pratt when when we talk about a departure from from you know curriculum now or or when we talk about like pedagogy let's get into that because i want it more than the specifics of the curriculum the ideas around it or how it's presented i mean a lot of the pushback from parents and most especially teachers here is, is, is like Mr. Schilling said. He's, we're not trying to, you know, have winners of trivial pursuit. We need to teach kids how to think. So so how much of a departure is this from from one to the other? Well, it's it's quite interesting because that's a great question, Ryan, because, um, you know, when I was asked to do the review back in December, I was asked not to use the word pedagogy in my feedback. And uh, that's a bit akin to telling a carpenter to not pick up their hammer. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, uh, it works against everything we teach our new teachers and, and what we do with our practicing teachers in terms of improving pedagogical practices. But this, uh, this new curriculum, just as Jason pointed out, um, yeah, it's, it's a meaningless list of uh, facts, figures, dates and times, largely Eurocentric. Uh, largely American in its focus. And it really, um, you know, it does a disservice, I think, to us here in Alberta. We've got a very rich and interesting history right here in Alberta. And, um, you know, instead, we're sort of stepping over to uh, Greco-Roman ideas and ideas around, uh, you know, the one uh, curriculum draft I saw, the last one had the KKK featured. You know, why? Why? I guess I, I'm just baffled by why why this choice of topics. And when you talk about pedagogy, I know in my own university classes, I teach my, my education students um, to be really brave and to be creative in their approaches because we want learning to be relevant and meaningful. So I often ask students in my classes, you know, what do you remember about being in your K-12 schooling years? What are, what are the things that really stick and that you can talk about, you know, 10, five years, 20 years later? And it's really interesting because it's often those um, teachers who have taken a really creative approach to teaching and they've dove into some controversial areas sometimes or areas that have deep relevance for students. And those are the things that our students can remember. And so, you know, when we're teaching them how to teach, we're saying to them, 
think about it. You know, you want not rote memorization, but you want that type of learning that will really stick and not only stick, but to also allow them to be critical thinkers. Because without the critical analysis, you will take in anything and believe it to be the capital T truth. And as we've seen in recent months, that's problematic. And so we want them to be able to engage with material, to critically analyze it, and then to be able to make their own um, learning around those um, ideas. So it's not about memorization and regurgitation. It really is about learning ideas. Yes, that's fundamental. You have to have knowledge, but then how do you actually work with that material in a meaningful way? And so, you know, part of the exercise that we undertook uh, when we sat down with this new, uh, newest version of the draft curriculum is we looked at some of the Bloom's taxonomy and we looked at the level of um, what we were asking our students in K-6 to to do. And a lot of it really sat at those baser levels of um, memorization, um, you know, and, and not the sort of higher order level um, thinking skills that we really want to start to nurture in our students. So that's all around, you know, the pedagogy of, of good teaching. Uh, you teach the, the knowledge, the content, but at the same time, you're also teaching far more advanced skills. And you do that in a scaffolded way, right? You do it in a way so that the learner is not expected to make leaps uh, from, you know, content into critical analysis. You do it in a very careful and guided way. Um, but this curriculum is devoid of that. And it really makes me question who wrote this curriculum. I wish, you know, our Alberta government would be a little more transparent about who uh, was involved in the writing of this curriculum. I, uh, I, I think that we do need to focus on that. And doctor, you touch on something and I can tell that Jason's eager to get in here. So I want to, I want to, I, I want to, you know, uh, yield the floor in just a second here, but I do, there's an important uh, warning here from Brent that we all should heed. And he says, Hey, now everybody, I mean, if you think you're going to make it in grade three without understanding Charlemagne's impact on trade routes in Europe, you are sorely mistaken. And I, and I think that he's right. The, the worst thing you'd want to do is fall behind there in grade three, but Jason, let me get out of your way. <laughs> Well, well, definitely. When you talk about how this was created, I mean, when you go back and you look at the history of curriculum um, redesign, redevelopment over the years, there's always been an involvement of the teaching profession, uh, faculties of education and school boards in, in that, that uh, sort of process. And everybody had a voice on that and we moved together. And it, at one point, the association had a full partnership with Alberta Education on curriculum development that had teachers involved in every step of the process so that they could see what was being proposed in terms of the curriculum, how it was being laid out over the course of the six grades for K to six. And um, I mean, when this was originally going through with the, the PC government and the NDP government before it was K to four, and now it's K to six. And so teachers had looked at the K to four curriculum, but not the five to six. We're not even sure essentially who wrote those sections of the curriculum as well. Um, having that uh, relationship or that partnership dissolved in the summer of 2019 removed the profession from that process. And uh, I know of teachers who got to see through the curriculum working groups um, last December. There was about 100 of them. And they all signed non-disclosure agreements. And so we have no idea what they saw. 
Um, what was the input that they, they gave to the curriculum in terms of what they saw, what would be problematic, um, even if they saw something that they thought was good. Um, and we don't know if that, uh, that information is reflected within the draft that was released just a couple of weeks ago. So we do have some questions around the transparency of that work. Um, we know that uh, it's, in, it's time now to go back and start engaging in the process as it was done successfully before under previous governments. And let's start moving forward because transparency is a big thing when, you, when you're talking about curriculum redesign and, and looking at you know, the content as, as, as we've heard earlier and the structure of how it's laid out. And um, you know, it's, it's important to talk about the content, but also teachers need time to look at how they're going to teach that. Because um, that's just as important. And it's, that's another, you know, as much as I have issues with the content, I also have issues with the process. Because as we talk about a potential implementation of this, and the, and this association is saying, we need to stop a field test, we need to go back before we get into this. But there's no conversations right now that are, are detailed or specific around resources for teachers and for students. There's no uh, conversation that is detailed around the professional development needs that teachers are going to have to introduce this. And as, as Trisha pointed out earlier, we're still in the midst of a pandemic and we'll still be doing probably with the pandemic and COVID come this fall. We don't know where we will be now at that point. And to add this on top of everybody, uh, everything else that teachers are dealing with, um, lack of resources, lack of PD. And we haven't even had any kind of conversation that I've seen publicly um, about assessment and how are we going to move forward with the assessment of our, our students? Because one thing that we do not want to see as a profession, um, moving towards standardized testing at every grade, at every level, and a curriculum similar to this one that is a lot of facts and memorization lends itself very easily to a bunch of standardized testing. And that is not a true way to capture what students are learning through the course of the day. Um, and that, those are other conversations, Ryan, that we are seeing around this curriculum beyond just the regular content. And because there's so many variables out there that are not being addressed, we, that's why we need to stop in terms of content and design and move forward um, with a better plan. We've got some great observations uh, going on in real time as as real talk speaks. If you're just uh, tuning in live on our Mixler audio streaming app or live on YouTube, uh, Trisha Estabrooks is chair of Edmonton's public school board. Uh, Jason Schilling is joining us, the president of the Alberta Teachers Association and Dr. Yvonne Poitras Pratt uh, out of the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary. Uh, taking a look at our real talk, RJ hashtag Nancy, who is an engaged Albertan. I'm familiar with her education advocacy, says wrote memorization with children that have learning disorders she says it feels to me like the government hasn't even considered them and then she hashtags hold my hand a b she hashtags a real talk rj we'll get into that in just a second of course our hashtag is powered every day by the team at park power and i've been telling you about their social media accounts i've been telling you about one of the things that i think they do so well uh, i mean aside from hiring local people and giving discounts to real talk audience members and all the other great stuff their social media game is on point. Check this one out. This is just from this morning. I just wanted to show you an example. This is them on Instagram. You can follow them at Park Power LTD. Uh, great photo. They just say, hey, just a reminder, unplug any electronics that are not in use. 
just a great little reminder. Wouldn't you think that the power provider would want to run up the score so you pay them more? Wouldn't you think they'd be the last ones to give you tips on efficiency? That's why these guys are different. And if you go to parkpower.ca, use the promo code 2021-REALTALK and they'll give you 70 bucks off your first bill, residential, commercial, what have you. Same deal with Clean Air Club. They want your business, of course, and they most importantly want your family to breathe easier. So they're encouraging you to consider the last time you changed your furnace filter. If you're like me, you don't do a very good job of staying on top of it. At least that used to be the story in our house. So you go to cleanairclub.ca and you let them know the size of the furnace filter you need. They deliver them to your door oftentimes the next day. You know the drill by now. You pay less than you would in stores and your family breathes easier at cleanairclub.ca. Also, a big shout out to the team at Kubi Renewable Energy. Coming up on Monday, we're looking forward to another installment of Positive Reflections. Uh, You can send in your beautiful photos and videos, your feel-good stories, how you paid it forward or how someone showed you a random act of kindness to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you put in the subject line, Positive Reflections, Kubi Energy, a solar installer provider operating in Edmonton, of course, Alberta, and then Kamloops, BC. So they got Western Canada basically covered for projects big and small. Learn more at kubienergy.ca. Taking a look at our live chat, we've got questions uh, about, you know, how can you get rid of dinosaurs in the curriculum? We've got questions about the appropriateness of the talking about the tenets of religious education. Maybe we'll go there. That's a hot button one. We've got people asking if our experts think that basically this curriculum has been plagiarized. Uh, We've had a bit of a conversation on that with Dr. Yvonne Poitras, Pratt, Jason Schilling and Tricia Estabrooks. Let's get right back into it. Doctor, what do you think? I mean, some of the references to to American history, I mean, some of the Google searches people have done with passages that appear to be ripped straight off Wikipedia. I mean, what do you mean? Is this even a valid document? Well, it's it's interesting question, isn't it? Because um, we are finding word for word, there's there's passages in the this new draft curriculum that uh, seem to come from uh, sources that are are easily findable. And, um, you know, I, I always like to think that we should model best practices to our students and, and we should um, really look at ethical ways of being in the world. And when, when the curriculum itself is um, obviously not doing the work, not, uh, you know, citing where they're getting their, their um, work from, then we have a big issue. And it's, um, it's interesting, I just finished writing a chapter on uh, academic integrity, and the ways in which we are trying our very best at the university level um, to make sure that our students are not um, engaging in academic dishonesty by drawing on the ideas and the work of others and claiming it as their own. And I would suggest that our, our um, Ministry of Education ought to be doing the same thing. So it's, um, you know, the chapter that I wrote around academic integrity um, is from an Indigenous lens and we're drawing on uh, Cree concepts to really put forth this idea that truth-telling is is the basis for integrity and trying to reinstill that idea uh, within our own learning settings. And, you know, the the draft curriculum, once again, that we're seeing um, without those those, uh, references back to where this came from, we're all just kind of guessing that it likely is an American source uh, that did the social studies in particular, uh, because it was confusing sort of interjections of American history um, that really have no place when 
we're trying to teach our students, at least in the early grades, about their own communities, about their own province. Um, so it's, yeah, plagiarism is, is a huge problem. At the university level, you can be kicked out of uh, the university for plagiarism. So why are we allowing it at a Ministry of Education? <laughs> this is... Uh... Some random guy says the fact that our draft curriculum is partly plagiarized is delicious irony. Tracy says it's hilarious because as teachers, the first thing you tell students is that they're not permitted to use Wikipedia as a resource. That from Tracy. Uh, Jason, I, I'm going to put you in a, well, maybe it's not a tough spot. Who cares? We're just having a good candid conversation. But but when you start talking about matters of religion, uh, people are going to have different opinions. And and I, I want to dig into some of this. As a matter of fact, Dr. Poitras Pratt, I want to circle back on, on the Ku Klux Klan inclusion because I want to I talk about an angle on that but but jason does does the association have a position on this i would imagine you don't but but how would you answer you know audience members right now in the live chat that are saying let's address the appropriateness of religious education i like ryan jesperson i see value in people understanding what different faiths are all about uh, to, to seek more understanding about maybe a, a you know a, a young jewish boy that may be wearing a yarmulke or a young muslim girl that may be wearing some form of head covering or some or you know a catholic student that may wear a crucifix or something like that like i think it's good to understand people but once it starts turning into what could come across potentially as an evangelical exercise or even propaganda that's when people start to get especially concerned what, where do you come at this from well, I come at the, the fact that, you know, public education is supposed to welcome everybody into, into the conversation. And you sort of, you explained kind of my answer a little bit on your own there, Ryan, in terms of the idea that we need to understand other people's perspectives, histories, um, beliefs in order to understand ourselves and who we are as a society. And when we see within the curriculum, as uh, teachers have sent me, they're very thoughtful critiques of this is that they see that one is being raised or elevated above the others. And that is not something that we, we want to see in terms of our students learning. Um, we want to be able to say there are a multitude of perspectives. Let's look at this. I always, you know, working as a, a, a teacher myself, or well, I am a teacher, you know, is looking at everybody's different side of the angles. So this is how you look at, um, you know, this is within the guide of education of controversial issues. You look at everybody's perspective, you learn all about all of them, and then you start making your judgments and you back that up with uh, with information that you know. Um, so this is very problematic for teachers and it's very concerning that uh, we would be getting into realms that seem to put uh, other people above other people and we don't we don't want to see that we, we're trying to move forward as a society i think in general in terms of anti-racism anti-oppression um kind of policies as trisha had indicated at the top of the hour that edmonton public schools is doing we want to move in that direction and we don't want to be be taken back and i think that if i was a student and i was looking at this and, and i saw something that was very um you know offensive to to who i am or, or my history or my culture and that's in the curriculum that they want me to learn. That's extremely problematic. And, you know, that once again, is a good reason to stop this um, and go back to the drawing board and make sure that we're, we're talking with um, everybody who needs to be at that table. Uh, Lorraine uh, in on the live chat uh, says, you know, who's going to want to move to the province to start new businesses, for example, raise families with public education, secondary education and health care in the mess that it's in. And Trisha, we, we, we see the slight 
you know, dip in your eyes there, your body language. I mean, this is kind of part of your job not to maybe you'll take issue with how I might characterize your job, but you want to ensure that the health of the, the, the now and the next the future of Edmonton's public school board. You want to make sure that your schools are well enrolled, right? You want to make sure that people have confidence in Edmonton's public schools. I mean, this is all right in your wheelhouse. Are you concerned? Are you concerned about the reputation of the school board, of your schools, of your teachers? I mean, you know, (laughs) again, I go back to the core goal, I think, of what a curriculum should do. And what, frankly, again, is missing from this draft of the curriculum is that students need to see themselves in it. You know, at Edmonton Public Schools, you know, we're still projecting a growth for our enrollment next year. Um, You know, I would hope that Albertans, um, before they leave the province, and I maybe that's, I, I think we're being a little dramatic to say, quite frankly, that Albertans are leaving the province in droves over this. You know, like, let's let's give it time. Let's see what happens. You know, one of the things I would say is that, you know, we talked briefly about plagiarism and um, the heavy references to uh, Christianity in, in this document. And I want to pick up on something that um, Yvonne said earlier, and that to me is a, including the, play, the, the plagiarism bits as well as the heavy emphasis on religion shows to me again that this, um, as Yvonne had said, is, is evidence that it's hastily done, which is really interesting to me because, you know, this this curriculum revision started under Premier Stelmack. And so on one hand, this version's hastily done, but on the other hand, you know, we've been working on this for, for many, many years and have spent well over $65 million and hundreds of teachers have had their say and curriculum experts have had their say. And yet here we have a draft that yes, I agree with that assessment. It has been hastily done. And so that that's really interesting to me that we're yeah. still in this. And it makes me wonder, why can't we do this right in Alberta? How is it that other provinces are able to put forward um, new curriculum without the strife and the politics that we continue to see in this province? So, like, I just hope that there's a better way forward. You know, I really hope that we can find a way as a province to take the politics out of our curriculum. You know, because when I talk to the average parent, you know, they 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 just want they just want a modern, up to date curriculum. I think that's something we can all agree upon. And so, how do we get there? And I would say one way that we get there is to truly make it independent, truly make it objective. And maybe that's the question: Can we draft a curriculum that is truly objective and independent, and and free of some of the politics that we've seen um, sort of fly around in the last decade? So. I don't know if that answers your question to Ryan in a roundabout way, but those were some of the thoughts that were sort of percolating as I'm listening to the conversation this morning. Well, good. And I'd, I'd rather we just treat this. I mean, speaking of percolating, like like a coffee shop conversation, because these are the types of things that people are talking about around the province. These are the types of things that people care about. And I wonder if like, is it possible, uh, Trish, that maybe it's, it's it's maybe it's not hastily done. Maybe it's just really poorly done. Like maybe there's actually a lot of work that's gone into it by people that have no idea what the hell they're doing. That's another option. Let, let's not rule that out. 
I mean, the, when when the whole face of this, I know when Angus McBeath basically went up and, and and told Albertans that, and I'm taking it out of context, and it's a bit of a low blow, but he basically said we need to train a bunch of used car salesmen. With apologies to used car salesmen, uh, people were just like, "What the hell does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean?" So, but that to me was again evidence of you know you look at the curriculum review panel that was put in place. I mean, Jason, you referred to some of the the, the history. You know, in 2019 when they canceled the curriculum agreement with ATA and then they put in place the independent panel. There were teachers on that panel, yeah. and so what are we doing? Rewriting or revising a curriculum without including the voice of the very people who will be at, you know teaching this curriculum? So. Yeah. That, to me, was a red flag early on um, after this government was elected, quite frankly. Definitely. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan, I interrupted you there. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. When we saw that the ministerial order advisory group was coming forward and they were doing consultations, there was not one active teacher on that panel to talk about how we were going to draft curriculum in this province. And it, it blew my mind that we would move forward on looking at curriculum that's the very core of teachers' work and not include the profession in that conversation. And, um, it, and then you saw what, uh, what came out of that in terms of the scaffolding of how it worked and, and things like that. And I just want to pick up a little bit on what, what Tricia was talking about, because we've seen this, re this curriculum redesign, start, stop, start, stop, pause, start, start. And it used to be done one subject at a time, one grade at a time because it was manageable, it was tenable, it was, you were able to get people involved on an easier level than that and, and to really get into a deep dive of will this work for students. Then all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, governments want to uh, do all of it, K to six, K to 12. We're gonna change every subject at, all, at one time over a course of a couple of years for everybody. And it is, it's a huge task. It's complete, it's so complicated. Um, I love the fact that one of the viewers had mentioned inclusion because that was one of the things that was also missing from this conversation. And uh, we asked about that, what about inclusion? And he said, well we'll, well, we'll work on that as we're working on the draft and things like that. And I'm like, no, there has to be some plans in place. So I completely agree with Tricia that we need to take the politics out of curriculum and we need to have the politicians get out of the way and let the people who are the professionals and the experts in this do the work that they need to do that we know that they can do successfully because it's been done in the past and get the people at the table that we need to have make it as independent as possible get the profession in there get certified teachers in there get faculties of education in there um, and, uh, it, you know, open up the conversation to everybody else who needs to be at that table. But let's get the politics out of this because teachers want what's best for kids. And right now what we're seeing is, is not that. And it's, uh, it's extremely worrisome for them. Yeah. I mean, but again, and sorry, I'm, I'm like the jerk that just, I'm the guy at the table that's like, yeah, but yeah, but, and like, they're not going to take the politics out of it. So I understand why you're doing what you're doing. I understand why you're putting the message out and it's an important message and you give people, you give engaged citizens, uh, the key focus to take. And that's very valuable, Jason, you're right. But you know, I just, I smirk whenever I, and I, when I hear it across the island from political parties at all levels and all, you know, yada, 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 the ideological, and then they put in the name of the other party. Right. You can hear Jason Kenney's yeah. voice saying it. Rachel Notley and the ideological NDP. We heard it time and time again. And then, well, what do you call this? So that's the question I'd have oh, yeah. to ask. They flipped the narrative and just put their 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 own in. That's yeah. why I said we need to step back from this. So, get 
that out of the way and then move on. Dr. Poitras Pratt, let me circle back on something you, you specifically identified. You said, why is the Ku Klux Klan in the curriculum? You, you also described it more generally speaking as racist for people just tuning in. Of course, you can watch this entire thing later on the YouTube file. You can download the podcast. But doctor, uh, when, when, when you describe it as racist, that's a heck of a thing for someone like you, an accomplished and respected researcher and education professional. Um, with regards to the inclusion of the Ku Klux Klan, is, is it that you think it's, it's singled out? Is, is there some sort of like sublime adulation there? Is it the fact that like, what is it that grinds your gears there? Well, you know, I, I just think to myself, why? Why are we elevating our children's knowledge around this hate-based group? You know, why is that important? And if it was set in a context where we were talking about social justice and we were talking about trying to honor the spirit of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, then it makes sense. But it's it's simply sort of dropped in there and without any sort of meaningful context for its inclusion, then we, you know, we're wondering, well, why? Why do we need to know everything and anything about this hate-based group? And... Um, Okay, so if I can can jump in for two seconds. So it's it's not that we're saying, hey, listen, there were Japanese internment camps uh, in the 1940s that we should be learning about and indigenous kids. uh, I mean, we're in residential schools until the 1990s in Alberta. The 60s scoop is a thing. And they burned crosses when certain Edmonton mayors were elected, you know, mayors that have have received praise and been recognized through the decades. It's not that it's more just like yesterday we learned about you know, how to make ice cream out of, you know, dairy cows products. And tomorrow we're learning about the Ku Klux Klan. Is it like that? It's it's really fundamental, I think, Ryan, when we think about like when, you know, I teach mandatory indigenous ed. Um, and so that's that's about how do we bring indigenous perspectives into a colonial narrative. If we look at our curriculum throughout the years, it's been very colonial based. So it's been celebratory of explorers coming and you know finding these empty lands and a ton of other myths. Um, and so what I've been doing as along with some good colleagues and that includes allied colleagues is we're breaking down that that understanding or that people have had misunderstanding that you know we have this beautiful multicultural um, (laughs) place called Canada when in truth we have some hard truths and, and KKK is part of that and you know, what we need to do if we're to teach our children how to be ethical and how to be really informed citizens who understand the truths of our past, and that includes all of the dark truths of our past, we have to do that with an element of understanding where they come from. And so, you know, that is done in a very uh, deliberate and and a very uh, careful way. And so that's what my scholarship is around is how do you do that? How do you not turn off your whole class of students when you start saying to them, so you know that great story you've heard about Canada, how peaceable and tolerant we are? I'm going to teach you another (laughs) side to that story. So, you know, the KKK, yeah, it's part of our, our history, unfortunately, but we need to understand that our history here in Canada is millennia old, and Mm. that needs to be the basis of our understanding, right? That we need to understand that the first peoples of Canada had first occupancy uh, and that they have a rich, long history in this country. And then we had the, the newcomers come in. And so, 
You know, it really is about teaching the whole. And we need to do that through a social justice lens. Because if we simply teach it without people understanding their own positioning in this story, in this nation that we now call Canada, they're going to really reject it. They're going to really push back on it because it, it contradicts what they've been taught in school. And so it's a very careful way of introducing students to some of the um, truths of our nation. And you do it in a very deliberate and careful way, you know, to interject uh, the residential school story in grade five, just kind of boom, there it is. The students don't understand where that came from when they've been studying Charlemagne and all of that. So it's, you know, we have to be really, really considered and careful. And that's why we do research. That's why we are always trying to better what we're doing in the classroom by looking at what we're doing, asking for feedback, and then revising what we're doing in the classroom. Um, that's good teaching. That's, that's research-informed practice. And, you know, that's where this curriculum is really devoid of that sort of critical approach. It's, it's um, you know, there's a lot of confusion around the Métis. You know, oftentimes we're placed with Francophone peoples. There's biased language used, you know, uh, that the Métis lost their lands. Really, did we lose our lands or were they taken away? Language matters, really matters. So, you know, that's that's what I'm seeing is that there, there simply wasn't done uh, that careful, considered work that, as Jason points out, it's, it's this is the purview of educators. We are in the classroom with students. We understand how they take up the material and you know how we need to teach it so that they understand it. And um, yeah, sorry, I've gone way beyond the KKK no. because no. I think there's so much more to teach. Great, that's the whole point of this show. That's the whole point of these roundtables. Um, Trisha, this is, you know, it's kind of funny because sometimes you'll, you'll hear people that have valid thoughts well, about any number of subjects and they, and they always offer the caveat i know i sound like a bit of a conspiracy theorist but and then people have these real concerns and i cannot ignore the number of messages whether it's twitter email or live chat whatever where people have said i honestly believe that this is this government trying to drive families toward private schools or trying to bolster private education uh, in your position as the chair uh, the elected chair of a public school board do you think there's some validity to that would you write it off as a conspiracy what do you think Oh, you know, <laughs> the reality is, is that, you know, most or many of our private schools and charter schools also teach this curriculum yeah. as well. And so, you know, conspiracy theory is a is a strong term, I would say, Ryan. Um, you know, I guess the question is, is this government trying to undermine public education by putting in place this curriculum? I don't know about that. I mean, I think there's um, other things underway. I look at the current funding formula, which we're, we're having to endure, which is uh, particularly harmful for growing divisions such as ours. I think there's um, other things that perhaps could point in that direction. 
I don't know if, if the curriculum per se, you know, is a, is a direct um, sort of attack on public education. I, I think that that is a little overstated to, to be perfectly honest with you. Hmm. Uh, Christina chimes in. As a matter of fact, I want to be able to name the other uh, viewer by name. I apologize if I've missed it. It's just we have a really engaged audience, which I'll never apologize for. And our chat just looks like a stock ticker. But someone said, uh, basically, and I'll paraphrase them, they said, I'd really like to know how you're going to teach my black children about the KKK. Uh, obviously context would be very important etc cetera, etc cetera. and then here's another good insight into it uh, uh, a viewer said uh, this is Christina who says the blurb in the draft about the Ku Klux Klan said quote it was such a powerful organization that even policemen and judges and even politicians were members and Christina said that got my hackles up um, so yeah some interesting insight I'm just glad we talk about it you know I never want to take for granted when someone says oh and they talk about the KKK and then I'm sitting there even as someone going what's necessarily wrong with that or what's problematic with that we should learn about that i really appreciate the insight uh dr poitras pratt before we wrap this up and i want to give each of you an opportunity to issue us a call to action or to wrap up a thought that you've wanted to make sure that we remember and walk with through the weekend uh but but i want to ask you this jason i mean you're here representing thousands of alberta teachers and there are so many people talking about neurodiverse students students with learning challenges we we heard nancy's tweet i read it earlier uh in this round table about that it's going to concern a lot of people your kid doesn't have to be neurodiverse or your kid doesn't have to have learning challenges for this to be an issue of concern to everybody for a number of reasons including the and i hate i hope i don't use the wrong words but the stress it can put on a teacher as well maybe doesn't have the resources to properly interact with every student including those that need a little bit more time can you take us into where the focus needs to be on this in the context of this draft curriculum well, I mean, those are the, the individuals like uh, that you, you talked about with Nancy. Those are people also we need to have conversations. But teachers are also experts in terms of what it's work, what it's like to work with neurodiverse students. And little little kids in, in uh, K to six all learn at different times and different pacings and different uh, in different ways. And that's that's the beauty of the teachers and the professionalism that they have is that they can identify from working for years with these students what is going to work and what's not going to work and how to do, um, you know, how to change up their lesson plans and, and be able to go back and revisit. I can't tell you the number of times I've introduced something into my English class and had it fall completely flat and then have to go back and redo that and revisit and be reflective on what that practice is. So we need to have those individuals involved in that conversation so that all of our kids can see themselves in this curriculum as as was said earlier, and be able to provide the support for those students, but also their families as well for when, when those students go home at the end of the day to know that those, uh, those students are supported with their learning in schools and that they're included and thought about in that. And that's why we need these time, this time and this, the resources in place to make sure that we can do that. I want to give each of you a chance just to give us sort of a closing thought and and uh, maybe Dr. Poitras Pratt. First of all, let me let me recognize you for something. You may not want me to do this, but I so appreciate you had a morning chock full of meetings and you shuffled your morning around to accommodate this conversation. I'm so grateful that you did. Thank you for that, especially on short notice. Uh, would you give us something to walk with here, something to focus on for the engaged parents? There's going to be thousands of them that listen to this. 
Yeah, I, I really thank you for that. Um, I really think that, you know, as a Métis woman I, um, and as an educator, you know, I really hold a lot of promise in our future generations that we're going to come together in a spirit of truth and reconciliation. And that truth telling is absolutely essential. And we need to, we need to model that in all aspects and sectors um, throughout our society. So whether, you know, whatever political stripe you are really it is about how are we going to teach our children to be better people in this world and you know the pandemic has really pointed out to us how interconnected we are so I think you know we do need to lay down the political stripes and um really start to look at truth-telling as the basis for this curriculum. And we need to involve those who have the expertise, because as you can see, um, you know, educators are passionate about their profession. This is a profession and it's not, you know, I would never tell a dentist how to do their job. So why are we asking all these disparate parties to put their two cents in? Why not go to the educators? And, you know, certainly parents will be part of what, um, you know, what will be the feedback on what their kids are learning, but let's go to the, the professionals. Um, and, you know, as a faculty uh, member, I'm passionate about Indigenous education, but I also welcome all the different diverse voices around our curriculum. And, and that's the spirit of working together to create a better nation. Uh, we've got some MLAs that are watching right now, which is great. We've got a whole bunch of parents and teachers. Nicole says, I've just loved this panel. It feels so good to hear people advocating for the kids, for the parents, the teachers, and for Albertans. Brent says, thank you to this excellent panel for your knowledge, your experience, uh, and to Real Talk for another open discussion. Jason, so you've got the full page ads in the newspapers today. What's the call to action? Well, we did create a website as well that it's called curriculum.learningteam.ca where you can go there and, and sign up and, and show your support for putting a moratorium on this curriculum and, and engaging uh, folks back to it. And one of the drivers of, of all of this, Ryan, is, um, you know, I'm a teacher and I, I might be association president, but first and foremost, I'm a teacher. And what I'm hearing from teachers across this province and why this curriculum is such an affront to them and to me is that it, it, it doesn't serve our students well. It has the potential to damage them as we move forward. And I don't know a teacher who wants that. And we just had, you know, the, 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 the statement that we put out was unanimously carried by our provincial executive council who represent every teacher in this province from every square mile. And uh, they believe in this. And I always say this time and time again, that you fight for what you believe. And teachers in this province believe in their students. They want them to learn a curriculum that is modern, forward-thinking, inclusive, shows diversity, and sets them up for a really good future. And they see this curriculum as taking us back and potentially damaging. And that's why you're seeing such a strong um, position by the teachers in this province. Yeah, and the parents too. Uh, people can check out curriculum.thelearningteam.ca. Uh, Trisha, last word to you. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Uh, you know, right now, like I said, it's 27 school boards who've had said thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to pilot this curriculum. That represents about 60% of Alberta students. Mm -hmm. So what I would say, my piece of advice to parents and families who may be listening and watching 
keep writing, keep speaking up, engage with your publicly elected school board trustees. We care about this issue deeply, and I know families do too. You know, again, I said, as I said at the beginning, I can't think of an issue more fundamental to families and to kids and to parents and to staff is what we are teaching the next generation of Albertans. And so I would say continue to speak up. You know, certainly at the very least, we need to see a pause on this. And so really encourage people to continue to speak up in the way that they have. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, this is a moment in education in our, in our province, and we need to pay attention to that. It is indeed a moment. Uh, that's Tricia Estabrooks, Jason Schilling, and Dr. Yvonne Poitras Pratt. Uh, have a great weekend, you three, and thanks for this. Much appreciated. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, you Thank bet. You. Real talkers, if you like what you just heard, we're, we're going to start saying this more often, Sam. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, we're going to start shamelessly. It was Sharon the other day that, that was advocating on our behalf. We're, we're, gonna, we're pulling out all the stops to get YouTube's attention, to catch the algorithms, to make these interviews trend and get more exposed. And the one thing, one of the things you can control is our engaged and amazing audience is to hit the like button. Uh, if you're watching this or checking this out on YouTube, if, if you're listening on the podcast, leave us a rating, leave a comment. We always appreciate that feedback wow uh the website again uh several of you are asking about that it is curriculum dot the learning team dot ca curriculum dot the learning team dot ca i'll tell you what i'll do as soon as we go off air so to speak i'll tweet that out just in case you missed it and uh, you can always follow me on twitter of course and instagram as well at ryan jesperson where do you begin i mean we covered a lot of ground there. I mean, some of it a little bit more specific, some of it a little bigger picture, but I hope that we achieved our mandate, which was to help us all better understand the, the real reason behind some of the, the most passionate or deep concern around this draft curriculum. And then, of course, to have all of us civilians better understand what we can do about it and how we can impact uh, change in our communities or, or hold government, hold school boards accountable, how we can protect our future in a number of different contexts. Uh, thanks to everybody that's saying you're going to share and like this. We love it. This is why we do it. This is why we do this thing. Um, did you take something, Sam, from that in particular? I saw you, you. You've got this notebook that one day we say will wind up in the Smithsonian um, or, or maybe in some sort of Canadian media museum. But but you, you take notes. It's, well, like I, I take notes because I cut the highlights and this makes my job easier. But, but look at this. This like is show after show of your observations. Yeah, today I'm at like, you know, eight pages, I think. Anyway. Maybe we should uh, maybe um, we should auction that off for charity sometime. My, I don't think people. Well, your old books, you might be surprised. Oh, boy. People want my notebooks. That's maybe. Hmm, OK. Uh, takeaways. I mean, I don't know. I have I have broad takeaways and I have very specific takeaways. What was one um, thing that really jumped out? The you know, I, I think that the whole concept and and particularly Dr. Uh, Porches Pratt and, and uh, Jason Schilling talked on this a lot is is like, what is the real purpose of curriculum? What is the real purpose of doing this? And, and it's not to turn people into trivia experts. I think Jason Schilling, like that at, probably is going to be the quote that I use. We're not trying to train people to be good at trivial pursuit. And I started thinking about times in my own learning when like I was a nerd who loved school and I was thinking about like, well, when were times that I didn't? And I zeroed in on one course in university and it was, uh, it's the only history course I took. It was history of technology, which uh, was, you know, part of, part of engineering. And, and the subject matter was 
fascinating. It really was. I thought it was an unbelievable course. I could explain to you how, you know, uh, modern society basically got its start because we, we developed agriculture. Uh, I can explain to you weird connections between the black the Black Plague and the birth of printed material because uh, it was around the same time that Gutenberg invented the printing press. And then I got to the final exam and it was a multiple choice exam of names and dates. And I bombed it. Of course. And, and I felt so cheated. I felt so cheated because I spent time in this course to learn this material, to make these connections, to understand why things were important. But I couldn't just regurgitate exact dates. And it just spoke to me so firmly of this isn't what teaching should be. This isn't what learning should be. This isn't what assessment should be. And, um, you know... Learning lists of facts certainly have their place, but the emphasis that's being placed on it is is way over the top. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Emma says, you know, would it be possible to hear from somebody who's supportive of the curriculum? I'm very curious about that view and the reasoning behind their support. Um, Emma, at the beginning of the show, I did. I like got up out of my seat and got as close as as the plexiglass will allow me this shield uh, to get to the camera just to, to have you see it in my eyes that we I put in. Uh, do people say yeoman's work anymore? Uh, put in a real, uh, uh, gave it the real college try. See, like honestly, in all seriousness, though, um, and I won't start naming trustees or board chairs or vice chairs. It's that's that's totally fine, and that's sort of not really how you operate when you want to produce future shows and maintain the trust of people. But let me say sincerely, I made a real effort. I mean, it, I think that this panel was unbelievable fantastic it's just a different dynamic right sometimes a panel starts with an idea over here and becomes an idea over here uh, a classic example was was earlier this week with the you know the Kaler Betts and this this mental wealth coach flare up in the video and you know we talked to him about bringing him on the show with people that would rebut or debate his claims and and then, and then it sort of turned it into more of a, a deep Kaler said nah I'd rather do it with at least someone that would be sympathetic to my perspective and we started considering that and long story short what we brought you on Monday was quite different than what we initially were considering. That happens all the time. It happens multiple times every week and has been the case my entire career. But we initially started with the idea of either three board chairs or at least three elected trustees or people in valid credentialed positions um, that would be respected in their fields Let's call them a peer a peer reviewed panel, people that would get the endorsement of other folks who know what they're talking about, credentialed people and would say, yes, their 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 opinion. They have the education, the lived experience, the understanding to comment on this publicly on a show of record like real talk. And we really wanted to have someone whose board was saying no. We will not pilot the draft curriculum, one that was saying it's under review. We're thinking about it. We've not yet made up our minds. Here's what it might depend on kind of thing. And then one that said, yeah, we're going to do it. We support it or at least we're going to pilot it because we're willing to participate in the process. And it just didn't happen. Uh, now, maybe one of you will say, hey, I know someone that will speak yes to it and be loud. And hey, we'll consider that. We all we, we want to bring you interviews from a bunch of different perspectives. Absolutely. It's our mandate. So why some people that love the show on this part of a spectrum, you know, in the context of social justice or politics or economics may love some of our guests and loathe others. And then it's vice versa on the other side, too. So we always want to hear from you. Talk at Ryan is where you can find us. 
and of course, you can also use the hashtag RealTalkRJ and hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitter, it's kind of funny. Twitter seems to slow down a bit during the show. And I think that's going to change when, when we onboard our new producer soon, which we're really excited about. Um, that's going to be, drop by the hint, way, hey? well, I'm just going to drop a little hint. It's going to be before May. So you will meet our new producer, our show's new producer. Uh, she has accepted our offer and we're so excited and she's going to be joining us before May. And we're really excited about that. But but the hashtag really real talk RJ picks up during the day. It's once we start sharing our clips, it's once, uh, you know, our podcast loyalists start downloading the podcast and going about their afternoon, walking their dogs, doing their thing and catching the show. And then that's when that really picks up. But the email inbox, if you want to make sure we see it, um, that's the best way to do it. That's the best way to be in touch. We're so grateful that we have the support of the team at Eden Landscaping. And let me tell you, if you go to landscapeedmonton.ca right now and take a quick look at the work they do, you'll be pretty grateful as well. If you're looking for a crew that can both design and build your dream outdoor space, they've been doing it for more than two decades. And heck, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, just look at the stuff that they do. I mean, they can do projects relatively modest, you know, slight tweaks for curb appeal or maybe fix that retaining wall, whatever you need all the way up to the big dream home stuff. As a matter of fact, that's where the team at Eden Landscaping really loves to flex their creative muscles and show you what they can do. Surprise yourself. Give them a call today or check them out online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also super grateful for the support as we have had since day one of the team at Local Waste. Local Waste, of course, for more than 25 years has been in the business of garbage removal, recycling. They find solutions for their partners who'd rather deal with a local family-owned company than some big multinational. These guys call you back. You refer to them by their first names, Chris, Lauren, Mikkel, and you can find them online at localwaste.ca. Each and every Friday, the team at Local Waste, Earmuffs Kids, also presents a little something we call Trash Talk! All right, we open today with one from Maurice. This an email received to talk at ryanjesperson.com. He says, Ryan, I am being shamed and blamed. I am being criticized and ostracized. I am being outed and doubted. And the worst part, it's by my own family. Jespo, help me out. Put it on the record. Does ketchup belong on KD, yes or no? Maurice, do you even need to ask? Obviously, the answer is yes on the record on Real Talk. How about this one from Mr. DW who says these cuts, the cuts that we're seeing at the University of Alberta, reckless and short-sighted. They're going to leave hundreds of people destabilized, put advanced education out of reach for many and stifle Alberta's recovery. The premier might not recognize the importance of the university, but constituents like me do and I'm demanding immediate action to reverse these cuts. The U of A is a world-class university. Thousands of talented academics, researchers and staff. Their work lays the foundation for a better future for Alberta. The work is critical. They don't deserve to be let go. We can't afford to have more than a thousand Albertans, a thousand more out of work. We can't afford to slow innovation and sell our province's future. That from Mr. DW who's all kinds of fired up. So is Tracy who says as a born and raised Albertan I've lived here for more than 50 years. I'm shocked and appalled at this government's blatant disregard for our eastern slopes. Every day, more and more mountaintops are being carved out for exploration. This must stop. What exactly
exactly is our environment minister even doing? He appears to be in hiding or maybe consulting with the energy minister to forward the interests of foreign mining companies. Tracy goes on to say, show leadership, show respect. And let me tell you, your rural basis supports leaving and will not return unless you get meaningful action now. That from Tracy. We got this one here from Tyler who says, you want to know what really grinds my gears, Ryan? The advantage of Catholic teachers in the workforce. It's insanity that the Catholic school districts can be as large as they are, take public money and not allow non-religious or other religious folks to work there. This is discrimination. My partner's a damn good teacher in BC right now. Can't find a job in Alberta because of this backward-ass system. I can't be the only one that thinks this is nuts. That from Tyler. And how about this one from Amy who says this flippin' and dismissive attitude toward healthcare workers and those on the front lines of this pandemic, the government boasting about 600 ICU beds, we have limited numbers of nurses and doctors to provide specialized intensive care. And now Doug Ford wants to take them? Many nurses and physicians are entirely burned out, traumatized by their experience. Do you know how many are on stress leave? This government shows very little compassion or gratitude to healthcare professionals and is encouraging Albertans to defy public health regulations. Maybe we should point out that a standard ICU stay is 4000 bucks a day. Maybe then Albertans will toe the line. After all, we're paying for it. That from Amy. And I'm back with one of my own. I was driving on the highway yesterday and I saw a billboard up with a graphic photo. It said abortion is a lifelong decision. Know the facts. What facts? Who's missing the facts? Who doesn't understand what it is? If you acknowledge that abortion is a lifelong decision, then you acknowledge that your billboard is a trigger and it is totally out of line. Abortion is serious and complicated and personal and none of your damn business. So take down the sign. We read emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com and every Friday, Trash Talk is presented by Local Waste. Have an amazing weekend, Real Talkers. We'll talk to you again live Monday at 8.30 Mountain time.